The Market Commentary with Michael Avery is brought to you by Peter Machlup Fine Wristwatches, South Africa's most trusted and loved watch trader. Well, Sens was lit up better than my local street has been for quite some time today with the earnings out of First Rand, Spur, Grindrod, Suntum, Implat, just to name a few. We saw a private equity buyout of Buco from Pep and some more good news for listed property out of Hammerson in the UK. Simon Brown, the founder of JustOneLap.com and hoarder of cables, has your market view. <laughs> Evening, Simon. I mean, I see you posted your cable box on Twitter. We all have one, don't we? We do all have one, Michael. I managed to tidy mine up into, well, tidy is a big word, tidy it up into one box <laughs> of chaos rather than multiple boxes of chaos. Yeah, well, it has to be a box of chaos. Otherwise, it just wouldn't be a, a man's cable box now, would it? Uh, talk to me about <laughs> chaos in the market. PCE, that big US inflation print today, was Bang in line. So uh, are we starting to get some more order? Are we still saying June rate cuts on the table? It was bang in line, Michael, and I I think it's important. And, of course, the the PCE is what the Fed most cares about. But I think the the, the key thing is is that it probably is still a mid-year cut. You know, what the Fed doesn't want to do, and and, and none of the central bankers want to do it, they don't want to be behind the curve. We get that. But the last thing you want to do is cut and then have to, uh, you know, pause or worst case, maybe even hike again. So they would rather, on the downside, they can wait a little bit. And if they're meeting too late, they can get more aggressive in their rate cuts. Instead of a 25, they could do a 50. Heck, they could do a 100 point or a full percent cut if they need to. So I think it was a good print. Um, we've had some data that perhaps wasn't as thrilling this year. That, that kind of certainly took the March cut and absolutely kicked it out the window. Uh, I think June is I think June is the one to, to, to aim for. And then I think aggressive cutting. And then pretty much every meeting thereafter in the debate will be as at a quarter or a half a percent. And hopefully the Saab can follow suit because isn't it one thing we're seeing in all of the earnings so far in South Africa, it's it's finance costs are hurting corporate South Africa. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, And and that over and above, of course, the other chaos, which is logistics and and, and power, but it is finance costs. I think the Saab will, to a degree, they followed on the way up because they don't want too big an inflation differential because that could potentially be bad for our currency. So I think on the way down, they will. I, 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 you know, it's also, if the US does a a full percent of cuts this year, maybe even a little over, that's way more significant because of where they're starting, five and a half percent. We're starting at at 11 and three quarters. You know, the Saab, are they going to cut by a percent? Sort of a percent. I mean, maybe there's an outside chance that it's one and a half, but consensus seems to be suggesting it'll only be cutting by one percent, which is nice. And certainly it'll help everyone out there with some debt, whether a, a, a listener or a company out there, uh, but it's it's going to be a, a long road back and a long road to repair balance sheets of, of, of the consumers. Yeah, and uh, back to your earlier point about the other constraints being power and logistics and one SOE's pain is another private sector company's gain in Grindrod. Uh, I think much of this good news was well flagged to the market in that trading update, but if you still see where it is, uh, I think up almost 47% from its 52-week lows, just going ahead like a steam train. Yeah, and you make the point. I mean, you know, 
what we are seeing is is is, is two things happening in terms of of an escom we're getting privatization by stealth which is that we were putting solar on our roofs or all the mines are creating renewable energy we're we're going off grid at a rapid rate uh you know five gigawatts uh, in, in the last year which is you know that's a madupi or Casili if they worked which they don't <laughs> and on the on the logistics side yeah it, it's it's you know it's avoiding the the, the, the port of durban uh to a degree uh rich Richards Bay as well, uh, to as well, and, and heading out via, via Maputo. Now, of course, the challenge is you've got to get your product to a port, wherever that might be. Uh, with Transnet uh, struggling, suddenly you're finding yourself on trucks, and, and that's far from ideal, but I suppose at least you can get something to port within reason. You know, if you, moving coal and trucks is just is so very, very deeply inefficient and expensive. It's actually quite staggering. At least we've seen uh, finally at Transnet the the new CEO uh, appointed, uh, and uh, I think everyone in business seems to be elated at the choice of Michelle Phillips as the the, the permanent Transnet CEO. She's been acting obviously since the new board was installed, and then there was that fracas first reported by Sunday Times about uh, um, her her qualifications or credentials not being black enough, whatever that means. Uh, I mean, she she's coloured for Pete's sake. And she's got all of the right credentials. She's storied her her entire career almost in Transnet and logistics. So good news. I think so. As you say, what I think she's a plus twenty year veteran. Uh, immediately preceding to to taking over initially the acting and now the the, the permanent CEO position. She was in, in the pipeline business, which she fixed up fairly well from around 2020. Uh, before that in ports, and we all look at Durban port and to a lesser degree Cape Town port and say, ooh, scary. But truthfully, the ports were a lot more efficient when she was there. Um, I think she's a good appointment. I think something like Transnet, I think it also does matter that it is internal, that it's someone who's kind of steeped in the, in the company. Now, there's there's risks to that. We, we've seen the, the stuff coming out of Zondo and the like, uh, State Capture Commission. But my sense is in, in, in a giant organization like Transnet, with, which is bureaucracy to the T, insiders, I think, maybe have an edge. We perhaps saw that with Andre Dorator, who tried to come in at, at, at Trans at, at yeah. ESCOM, rather, um, and, and, and struggled. So I think it's a good appointment. I really think it is. You know, she she's not going to have a magic wand um, that she can wave and, 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 and fix things by Easter. But uh, I think there's some quick wins that she can probably start with and, and improve some, some, some quick, easy ones. And then the hard slog starts. Yeah, absolutely. But again, you know, if you go with the energy reform, it's another positive step in the right direction. And we had quite a lot today out of Treasury consolidating our ombud structures, reporting back on the FATF progress we've made. All little ticks um, that mm. are showing we're heading in the right direction. Let's talk about ABN Bev's results, fourth quarter and full year results and uh, beating sales estimates uh, it raised its annual divvy by 9%. We did see the share slipping about 1.3% though. Uh, again, it's that debt, isn't it? You know, you spoke about it earlier. It's still laboring with that 100 billion US dollar debt from taking over SAB. Yeah, which let's be clear, Michael, they overpaid for SAB, but that's in the past <laughs> now. But as you say, they 
ever paid for SAB when debt was you know, a whole different ballgame, when, when, yeah. when near zero interest rates were, were the norm. And now, of course, you know, the Fed's at five and a half. So that absolutely, uh, I, I think, the, the worry. They, they will pay it. I mean, they, their cash generative rates will come down. It will all be fine in time. But I, I, I do agree with you. I thought not bad numbers. Uh, beer continues to, 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 to slip a bit, but that's fine. They've got uh, other alcoholic beverages that are replacing it. As, as sort of society's tastes change, um, they're having to adapt with it. We're seeing sort of similar, in, in, similar but different in British American tobacco, but British American tobacco got a much harder job at it than, an AB, than, than, yeah. than a, 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 a traditional beer company's got. Um, so I thought no, no, not a bad number. And as you say, sort of, you know, actually uh, looking forward that they're, they're saying, huh, they expect things to, to, to be even better going into the future. So the debt will pass in time. The rates will come down, but it is—it's a giant pile. And I mean, yeah, they paid a lot for SAB Miller. Oof, oof. I mean, they really got pulled over the table and with, with that deal. Yeah. Uh, but uh, talk to me about what's going on in the listed property space. And I know you had a very interesting conversation with Daniel King of Merchant West. Um, and we we must be very careful about calling the bad times over for listed property. There's still big question marks over valuations and that kind of thing. But the, if you look at Hammerson's results, it's reported uh, the first rise in rent expectations since 2017. Uh, and it owns uh, the Bullring Shopping Centre in Birmingham and Brent Cross in London. The UK market has been depressed. So this looks pretty good for at least UK listed property. It does. And, and it's been tough. And of course, you know, 2016 was the Brexit vote. So they, they had all of that and then straight into the pandemic um, and you know, high interest rates. It's tough being a, a, a UK consumer at the moment as well. And, and it is a, 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 a positive sign. It is, again, I'm going to, you know, as you say, and you prefaced in your intro there, Michael, where you say for UK uh, a property, and in this case, it's particularly, again, it's shopping centres. The, 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 the property space is still, you You've got to be very selective. And I think that's maybe the, the key thing that came out from the conversation with Daniel is that, you know, don't paint the whole uh, uh, sort of sector as, as either cheap or, or expensive. You've got to go and do your, do your homework. Certainly yeah. we're in, if we look at local REITs, a better place than we were at those highs of 2017, 2018, when the sector peaked, when valuations were crazy. Uh, our property stocks were at massive uh, premiums to net asset value. There's some sort of sense of, of reality coming back into the space. Uh, but I, I don't we're not out of the woods. It's not, you know, the fire is out, but there's a, there's a way still to go for these to become, you know, the, the sort of dripping roast. But certainly I'd look around and there's some attractive property stocks in our market at the moment with some good yields and with some some defensive assets. Yeah. So you just got to go and do your homework to your earlier point. You can't be just tarring the entire sector with uh, with the same brush. Uh, first round out um, amongst the banks with uh, its interims, the first out the blocks here, and it doesn't look like it's going to be a great reporting period. It, it upped its interim divvy, uh, but its half-year headline earnings were uh, up only 6%, uh, so that's pretty much matching inflation, but it is seeing credit-wide impairment charges jumping, I think 29% to $6.4 billion. FNB, obviously a big harbinger for that under-pressure consumer out there in the market, saying uh oh down 6.3 percent uh does this uh is this a harbinger of a bad earning season ahead for most of our banks or is this just first round 
I, I think it, I think it's going to be broader than just first round. I think the banks are going to find it harder. They've had the positive jaws effect with interest rates. That certainly has has helped them. Uh, they had took a lot of uh, provisions during the pandemic, which they then were able to release back into earnings. That has helped them. Um, growth is, is is tough in in, in the South African environment. You've got an economy growing at yeah, per capita growing at zero. Right? We're doing 0.8 percent. Our population's growing 1.2, 1.4. We're going backwards. It's hard to grow in that market really you're trying to steal competition from each other not a fun space to be in uh, the bad debts and payments not a surprise and that i think will continue to worsen through the course of the year even if we start to see some cuts around mid-year and in the interest rates the, the consumer as i said earlier they've got to repair the balance sheet you know they're they're absolutely stressed at the moment um they, they're hanging on for dear life but but i think it's still going to be an uptick in in, in impairments and i think the sector yeah in, in many it's cheap. Most of the big banks are trading at little over one times book, which is not bad. First rent, however, trading at two times book. And then, of course, Capitec at six times, which is the, the, the massive outlier. Yeah, it just I, I love Capitec, but the, but the pricing is absolutely crazy. Um, you know, I, I would I would I'm preferring Standard Bank in the space. But broadly, I'm just not liking the banks in this current environment in, in, in the year ahead. Well, there you have it, Simon Brown, uh, with your market view as we wrap up the week here on Classic Business. The market commentary with Michael Avery was brought to you by Peter Machlob Fine Wrist Watches, South Africa's most trusted and loved watch trader. Listen next Thursday just after 6 p.m. for another market commentary with me, Michael Avery, brought to you by Peter Machlob Fine Wrist Watches, South Africa's most trusted and loved watch trader. Do you have a luxury watch you would like to sell? I'm Peter Machlob. For over 30 years, South Africans have trusted me with their luxury watches. I buy Rolex, Patek Philippe, Breitling, Panerai, Cartier and Amiga. I offer honest advice, a fair price and a personalized experience from my upmarket, safe and secure office. Ready to sell your Rolex? Visit my website, peterbuyswatches.co.za.